<laughs> I'm already laughing at myself. Uh, not to be long. Um, we got a busy weekend coming up, and uh, I'm excited about that, but I don't want to wear you out. I appreciate so many people showing up on a Wednesday night like this when you know you got a busy weekend coming. Uh, don't forget, we are going to cancel the evening service on Sunday, all right, because of the busy weekend. So I want you to give you a, give you a bit of a break Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and get rested up and get a start at your week. Uh, on Monday, we do have our meeting coming up in just a couple weeks after that with Brother Peacock. So um, don't want to overlay overwear you out, I guess, but uh, we'll take that, that break Sunday night. Don't forget that as well, but... Um, We'll go ahead and get in here tonight, and I'll do my best to kind of hit it and get it, all right? Psalm chapter 62, to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, he is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, Selah. So you see again that this is obviously doctrinally a tribulation context. My soul wait thou only upon God, verse 5, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Watch it. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd, um, God, I pray that you'd get in this and that, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts. That you'd give us from this passage tonight what it is each and every one of us need. God, you alone uh, know our internal state, each one of us. And I, I feel helpless sometimes, God, even, even though I know that there's a message here and I believe this book, I feel helpless to do the job that you've called me to do. And I guess that's the right thing to feel because I am. And I ask you, Father, use me tonight. I ask you to guide my mind and my mouth. I ask you to help us to get something from this passage that will give us some learning and some help, some strength, some direction in our lives. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've always warned you against making these bold statements about, you know, I'm never going to quit, right? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like those kind of statements. Whenever a new Christian comes to me and they're all excited, they're all on fire for God, and they, you know, this is great, and the whole new feeling of being saved, and, and you know, the victory over sin, and finally break that addiction, and put some of that stuff away that you used to do, and then they'll say something like this in their zeal, I am never going to drink another drop of alcohol. I will never do drugs again. I am never going to quit church. I will never stop reading my Bible. When I hear those kind of things, it makes me cringe. <laughs> makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I've always warned you about not making those kind of bold statements because honestly, you don't know what you'll do down the road. 
It's kind of like the statement that's like, you know, I don't care what the devil does to me. I'm not going to quit. I'll never quit on God. I Give me a devil my size and I'll whoop him kind of thing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like that kind of, I'm going to speak the word against the devil. And that kind of like weird, charismatic and, and foolish talk that you hear come out of some of the brethren. You know, let him do his best. I got the Lord. Let the devil come. I, I hate those kind of challenging statements, those kind of foolish statements to me that are extremely arrogant and they're childish and they're short-sighted, to be honest with you. Don't stand there and look at me and tell me right now that you know what you're going to be doing in a year. Don't tell me you know how you're going to feel five years from now. I've seen people go through things that I thought there's no way they're ever going to make it through this and continue on for God, and they do. And I've seen other people that I'm like, that man will never quit on God. N- never. That guy, that guy is rock. I want to be like him when I grow up, and they actually do quit on God. How is this person going through everything they're going through, not quitting, and this guy over here, who I thought would never quit, did? Got to be real careful about making arrogant statements. I've seen Christians with the blessing of God all over their life. I mean, no tragedy, no heartbreak, nothing's going wrong. God has blessed them and changed their life, and they're doing very, very well financially, family, all the rest of it. They're doing great for God, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they just start losing interest in the things of God, losing interest in the Bible. They were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithful, soul winning, missions trips, giving, Bible reading, excited about calling me, hey, I got a Bible question, hey, I saw this in my Bible reading, prayer warriors, you know, and all of a sudden, it's like, man, what happened to you? I will never be moved. I'll never quit. Yeah, I believe you, brother. And then you talk to him two years later, and it's like, what happened? I've seen other people, though, man, like, oh, that guy's never going to get it. They're never going to be faithful. He's never going to make it. And, And slowly but surely over time, the guy everybody thought would never make it surpasses the guy that was the rock star for Jesus. I'm real careful about making kind of stupid, bold statements. You don't know what curveballs life might throw to you later. Now, I'm reiterating that point because I'm going to preach to you a message titled, I shall not be moved. While all of that is very true and should, in my opinion, be kept at the forefront of our minds, not to be arrogant about our walk with Christ, not to be arrogant about our current strength and our current success, I do believe that every last one of us needs to get it down deep in our craw, deep in our soul, in your spiritual backbone. You, have to have it, you ought to have it real deep in you. I mean, tonight, you ought to make a decision tonight that you are not going to quit on God. In the training that we had on Saturday, the, 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 the guy that was here, uh, Meech, was talking to us and he said, you don't know, he was standing right here, he said, you don't know what you will do in that circumstance until it happens. He said, there is no way to even explain to you, I, I can't put it into words, what happens in your body, in your mind, when you're in an extreme situation like that. And when I was watching him, it's like, okay, he knows, I mean, I, I, he knows what he's talking about. He, he, there's no way I can even imagine. He said this, though. He said, so what you need to do is you need to train. Because you will always fall to the level of your training. You'll never rise above it. If you aren't trained to do it, you're never going to go to the level you think you're going to go to unless you've trained. 
Number two, he said, you got to make up your mind beforehand. You got to think about this beforehand. You got to drill it in your mind, in your brain. This is what I'm going to do when it happens. This is what I'm going to do when it happens. This is what I'm going to do when it happens. This is what I'm going to do when it happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't say it as many times as I did. You guys were there, like, pastor's lying. I'm, I'm emphasizing the point. You got to get it in your head ahead of time. You know what you got to get in your head ahead of time? I'm not leaving God. Now, I got to remind myself of that later when I'm in tribulation because it's a tribulation context. Selah is twice in the passage. When I'm in tribulation, I got to remind myself of that. But I'm saying this, if you don't make up your mind today that you're going to serve God and you're not going to quit, then what makes you think you're not going to quit when it actually happens? The best chance you have is saying, listen, I'm not going to quit. Think about King David, the guy writing this psalm. Man, I, I was meditating on that this afternoon in my office. I was meditating on that. That guy knew heartbreak like very few people on the planet ever know in their entire life. You say, I lost a child. He lost multiple kids spread out throughout his life. Not one tragic event he could get over spread out throughout his life. He had a father-in-law chasing him. He had friends betray him. He had a wife leave him. I mean, think about David's life and all that went on. And beyond that, David made some of his own mistakes that most of you would quit on God if you made the mistakes David made because the way the brethren will talk about you when you make that mistake and the whole kingdom, I am 100% certain, did talk about him because human nature has not changed. But guess what he says in the passage and guess what he did throughout his life? I shall not be moved. And he finishes his life serving God, which is exactly how I want to finish my life. You know what scares me? More than anything else on the planet, you know what scares me? Failing God, failing my wife, failing my daughters, failing my church, and failing Christian friends around the, around the country in that order. You know what scares the fire out of me? is for my wife to look at me having lost all respect for everything she's always known me to be and to stand for and to say he's, he made some decisions or he made a decision that's not the man I thought he was. You know what scares me out of my mind? Just to get a little bit older. I'm talking about being moved. Being moved from where I'm standing. We talked Sunday morning about standing, taking a stand. I'm talking about being moved from where I stand. It scares the fire out of me for my daughters to look at me like that's not the guy we grew up around. That, that's, I mean, I know my dad, but that guy's not my dad. I love my dad, but I mean, I, and I love my dad, but I, I don't know this guy. Who, who are you? I don't want to be moved. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not want to mess up. Do you get what I mean? I want to finish my race. I want to serve Jesus Christ to the end. I don't want my relationship with my Savior to become damaged by sin, by circumstances in my life, by things that do or don't happen, by me allowing some distance to come between me and the Lord. I want to make up my mind tonight that I am not going to be moved. I am going to stand for God. I'm going to stand on that rock. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back out. I'm not going to resign the ministry. I'm not going to divorce my wife. I'm not going to cut off my children. I don't want to quit. And I want to make up my mind tonight that I'm not going to be moved. 
So I think if there's anybody in the Bible I can think of that I would go to and say, how do you do it? It'd be David. And I think we got some learning right in this passage that will help us not be moved. I want to just show you three things that I'm going to try to do it quickly. Notice, first of all, you have to have a resignation. You have to be resigned in your will up front that you're not going to be moved. Look at him in verse number one. Truly, this is genuinely, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. If you're not going to be moved, first of all, you have to have a resignation. Your will has to be resigned to the will of Almighty God. What he's saying in verse number one is, I am waiting for God. I've got some things going on. I've got some problems around me. I'm not thrilled with my life. I'm not thrilled with what's happening. People that want to destroy me. Circumstances that aren't working out the way I want it. Children that aren't making the decisions I want them to make. Whatever it may be, a nutty spouse that's lost their cotton-picking mind. Whatever it might be, listen, I'm in a bad spot. I'm not happy. Hey, the money's not coming in like it ought to, but I'm going to wait for God because He's there and my will is subject to the will of all my God, I'm His, and I don't have a will, I'm going to wait on God. When you get in a spot where things aren't going right, and everything's going against your will, which is always tribulation, trust me, I don't care what your problems are, you don't want problems. Okay? Don't, don't be super spiritual with me, you got the wrong guy. There's plenty of them guys around, if you want to go to a church with one of those preachers, they're everywhere. I'm not that guy. No, I don't want to suffer. I don't like problems. So I have a patience issue when things are not going the way I want them to go. You do understand that, right? I have to make a decision to say, listen, you know what, God, I got to kick me. I got to kick my mind. I got to kick my heart in neutral and say, listen, God, you're God. You're still that rock. You're still on the throne. I know you love me, and I'm just going to wait on you. I'm resigning my will to yours, and I'm doing it truly. See, the struggle stops. You stop pushing back against your problem in here. Well, you know, my life. You ever talk to those people? It's always like, poor me. Woe is me. All my problems. You don't even want to ask them how they're doing because you know that they're just going to like start crying all the time. You know? Well, you know, I mean, there's a little lump on my knee and I hope I'm not dying of cancer. It's a wart, man. It's a stinking mole. You know, you're not dying. You're going to be, you know, know those people? I need to get back on point. You don't like problems. You don't like trouble. You have to just say, you know what, God? You're God and I'm not God and I'm waiting on you and I'm resigning my will to your will. Look at verse number three. How long will ye imagine mischief against against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. You know what I noticed, verse 3? How long? You know what he's having to do? He's having to be patient. Folks, I can't explain it to you. I don't know exactly why God lets things drag on sometimes. You've ever had problems that drug on? And on? (laughs) And on? And on? And you pray about it, and you pray about it, and you pray about it, and it feels like God does not answer the problem? You know what you better do? Because I am telling you, as long as you keep chafing under that issue and refuse to resign your will to His will, refuse to accept the circumstance, you're going to wind up cracking. It's a matter of time. 
You can only sustain that resistance so long. And you got to get to a point where you say, listen, how long will, go, will you imagine mischief? It's dragging on, but truly, my soul, I'm waiting on God. I see David in this situation. He's watching wicked men around him, imagining mischief and making up stuff about him and saying he's trying to, to kill Saul and take the throne and imagine all the people all over the place just talking about him. Masses of the majority of the masses were with Saul and against David and spreading rumors and lies about him and everybody's believing it. They're hunting him like a stinking, like a stinking outlaw and he's done nothing wrong. Now imagine if that was you. You know what he did? He resigned his will to the will of God, and that's required. God allowed that thing to drag on. You know why? I believe it's James chapter 1, verse number 4. But let patience have her perfect work, <laughs> that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Something about patience develops you like nothing else will develop you and completes you as a Christian and puts you in a place where what's he lacking, what's he wanting, what does he need? Nothing. What can, you, what can you tell me? What, 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 do, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? Nothing. You got it. How can you say that? Um, because you let patience do the work that patience does, and that's why God allows the tribulation to drag on sometimes, because God and His will is trying to do something in you, with you, and through you that He can't do without the problem. So it's learning to just resign your will to the will of God and recognize, you know what, I don't like it, but God wants it to be here, so okay. And you ride it out. How long are they going to keep imagining mischief? I don't know, but I know this, when God wants to, God can stop them. You know what they're saying about me? Yeah, you know everybody's believing them? So? They're going to kill me. Not if God wants me alive. You understand, I think he's actually getting to a point in the middle of his problem where he's actually happy. He's actually riding it out. He's actually okay. Why? Because he realizes God's got it. I find it very interesting that he, he progresses through the passage, right? He says in verse number 5, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. So he said, My soul waiteth upon God. Then he says in verse 5, My soul wait thou only upon God. So it's almost like, I'm waiting on God, but earlier on in the passage. Then is he, and I'll show you another kind of a verily, verily on this, why I really think I see a growth process in David as I'm reading through this thing. Because then when he comes to verse 5, my soul wait thou only upon God. He's like instructing himself. He's talking to himself. He's saying, listen, put your focus and your expectation and your hope only on the Lord. Listen to me. James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. When you pray, when you seek God, you ought to expect God to answer your prayers. When I talk to God, I talk to him because I believe he hears me and I'm waiting for him to give me an answer to my prayer. I know God answers prayer. I didn't say he always answers it the way I want. I didn't say he always says yes to me. But when I pray, I pray with an expectation. I pray and then I look for God to do it. I ask God on Sunday morning to, to send us visitors and then I stand in the back and I look for them. I pull in and I'm like, yep, there he is. Don't know that guy. 
There's an answer to prayer. I expect God to answer my prayers when I pray. I think too often we pray weak and anemic prayers because we're not really waiting on God. Our soul's not really seeking God. And we're just praying these kind of like soft prayers, not even looking for God to do anything about it. You got some lost loved ones? How are you praying? Are you even praying? Or do you pray and turn it on? I mean, turn it on them. I mean, get them, God. I mean, Lord, get them. And then look for God to answer that prayer. I think that's a big part of our problem. I think we just really don't expect God to do anything. I expect God to move this weekend. I'm not sure what he's going to do or when he's going to do it or how. I'm not even sure I'll know that it happens. But I'm still asking God to bless us this weekend and to give us a good time and to speak to the hearts and to get a hold of some of these young people because I'm telling you, the devil's moving a lot of them away from God and away from the church. I read an article just today talking about how many Americans no longer are Christians or even anything at all. And what, at this rate, what the projections are for the future, it's horrible. I read another article. Now, you, this is going to shock you. This shocked me. Calling out premillennial, dispensational premillennial churches that teach that there's a rapture of the church coming before the tribulation period. That there's going to be a great tribulation on the earth, but before that a rapture is coming. And saying that these people are doing psychological damage to people because they're making people live with this expectation that they're going to get raptured out at any second. So if you're not living your life the right way and God's going to catch you in a sin and literally villainizing Bible-believing Christians that are dispensational, premillennial, pre-trip rapture. Spell, I mean, we are such a minor segment of the... Listen, the churches that believe like us that are mainstream contemporary churches... They don't tell anybody they believe that. I could throw a rock and hit a couple of them that honestly believe in a pre-trib rapture if you ask the preacher or you nail down the doctrine of the church, but you're never going to pick up on that in the preaching, okay? They're spelling out a tiny little percentage of the religious population, and then, of course, they covered the great mother whore's back. They said, you know, not taught by the Catholic Church. And then they called out Thessalonians. And they said some certain writings from the Apostle Paul and Thessalonians is where these people are getting this doctrine from. I'm talking about a pretty mainstream news source. Where these people are getting... But most scholars agree that it's simply symbolism and pictures that Paul's referring to. And what they're saying is, there's all these young people that were so damaged by this doctrine and now they're coming out of it and they're interviewing all these young people and they got their Facebook groups and they're shocked at how many were so damaged by this horrible villains preaching the Bible. Ain't that something? I'm, tell, I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming, man. It's coming like it ain't never been here before. I want God to get a hold of our kids. 
I want to get the truth into our young people because the devil's on the prowl after them and he's coming after them harder and harder and harder and stronger and stronger and stronger and I don't want to be moved. I want to get a hold of God. I want to see God do something. So when I pray, I expect God to answer. I ain't going to quit praying. You quit praying. You know why you quit praying? I'm going to tell you why you quit praying. You don't believe it works. I'm telling you, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is that a promise in the Bible? Yes. Didn't Paul say, pray without ceasing? Yes. And you've got a prayerless church nowadays. No wonder we're not seeing people get saved. No wonder when we invite them to church, nothing happens. No wonder when we witness, they never swallow hard, never start sweating, never get twisted up and confounded, never like, yeah, you know what, maybe, you know, I, you know, I'd like to talk to you again about this. No wonder we don't see God doing it. We are praying like we ought to. David expected God to answer. Look at verse 4. It said, They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. You know what you have to do? You have to wait only on God. Because there's plenty of people that are going to come, and I already covered them in my little illustration of the articles I was reading. Plenty of people are going to come and are going to try to cut you down. You better rule out disregard and cut off the voices that try to come between you and Jesus Christ. I didn't say try to come between you and your church. I didn't say come between you and your preacher. That's what a cult does. I'm saying the voices that try to come between you and Jesus Christ, between you and your Bible, you better cut those voices off. David's asking God to do just that. Look at verse 9. Surely men of low degree are vanity. Right? You drive through the ghetto, men of low degree, right? What is it? It's all vanity. Liquor stores, hookers, all the rest of the foolish party and all the stuff they got going on, right? What is all that? It's vain. You like that kind of nightlife? You're looking for that? You're going to die young, stupid. Buying that junk off the street? You don't know what they're putting in that stuff anymore. You're, 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 you're playing Russian roulette with your life if you, you kids, I almost said something mean. Your kids are dumb enough to start doing drugs. Amen. I'm not being mean to you. I love you and I don't want to see you. I don't want to preach your funeral. I don't want to try to help your parents figure out how to move forward when they can't even breathe because they're suffocating from the grief. Don't be stupid. What is that stuff? It's all vanity. That's what it is. Talking to a 71-year-old man, you know what he said to me? He said, well, I guess I'm too hedonistic. I just figure I'd try to get as much pleasure out of life as I can. You know what I said to him? I said, it don't work. And I stared at him, and he looked at me. I said, it don't work. He said, first time you skydive, you get more of a buzz than you ever get again. You understand what I'm saying? Your, your way don't work, old man. By the way, I found a passage in the, in, the, in the prophets. He called out the old men. He said, ye old men. So I said, I figured, you know what? That's, that's the right context. That's a good time for me to say, hey, old man, your way don't work. Don't be teaching anybody else that garbage. Amen. And men of high degree. Oh, man, look at the Mercedes and the Bentleys and... The big fancy house and the expensive clothes. I ain't no ghetto. 
was talking to a couple of people just yesterday. I said, I didn't want to come out here. And they said, start a church. They said, why not? Where'd you want to go? I said, Detroit, <laughs> Haiti. They said, why not? I said, a bunch of rich white people that are too busy for God, care more about their careers and their sports than they care about God. Why, why would I want to waste my time with that? I said, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was young. God's right. It's been great. I got a great church. We're reaching people, and I love it. I wouldn't change it now, but I didn't care about it. Why? Because you know what men of high degree are? They're a lie. I'm telling you, it's a straight-up lie. You can have, you know, granite countertops or whatever quartz or whatever the highest level is nowadays. It's always changing, you know. Live in a beautiful home. Drive a Bentley. You're just as much of a drunk as the dude in the ghetto. You're a drunk. Functional alcoholic. You're a drunk just like he is. You're just a rich one. You're just as much of a fornicator as the hookers down there working the, working the streets at 2 a.m. You know what? It's a lie. That's what it is. You stink just like everybody else. You got to shower just like... That's men. You understand that? That's human nature. You got to cut that stuff off. You know what you're supposed to be trusting in? You know where your hope is? It's God. Don't trust the flesh. Don't ever... Not your own or anybody else's. Don't trust the flesh. Why? Because men of a high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They're altogether lighter than vanity. So he says the low men are vanity, but the high men, the high men of high degree, are lighter than vanity. That's why I wanted to go to the ghetto. You just usually know what you're dealing with a whole lot quicker. But here this clean, cut, rich, wealthy, well put together knows how to behave. You don't know what you're dealing with, man. It's all that same stuff is there. It's just more... Classy, it's just more well hid. So he says, those, the ghettos, you know, the men of low degree, that's vanity. And at high degree, they're lighter than vanity. They're the ones that are the oppressors. We'll see it in the text. Resignation to the will of God is required if you're not going to be moved, but reliance on your walk is something else you got to do. Where's your walk rooted? Look at verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Look at verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. You know where your rock is? You know where your walk is rooted? It's rooted on the rock. I'm not, I don't want to quit. You understand what I'm saying? I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing in 10 years. But I don't want to quit in 10 years. I want to be older and grayer and wrinklier right here preaching. I'd like to be doing that in a bigger sanctuary with more people. I really would. I'd like to just see us having this thing all built up, and I'd like to be seeing God doing something. I'd like to be seeing some kids in the church that aren't here now because some of you stayed right with God, weren't moved, married somebody that loved God, and now your kids are in the nurseries, they're coming up in the youth group. That's what I'd like to see. But I don't know what I'll be doing in 10 years. I know this. I have to walk with God today, and i got to get up and walk with Him tomorrow, and i got to make up my mind of putting my feet on the rock, and I'm walking with God. I gotta make up my mind I'm doing it and I won't be moved because that's the only way I'll make it is staying close to him because he's my rock the shifting sands of this life are not my rock the shifting sands of the vanity of the flesh and of men it's not my rock I mean I'm so thankful for my church you have no idea I'm so thankful God has built I was telling Dave yesterday 
God has really, I can see it, he has really put some strength here. There's some structure here. There's some depth here. And some of you guys that have been around a while and stay faithful, you don't realize how God's using you. But I'm still telling you, my trust is not in men. It's in the rock, Jesus Christ. That's who I'm walking with. And if I can keep doing that and you keep doing that, we won't be moved. We'll see God do something, man. We get to grow old together. Fixing to do a write-up for Jim for the website. Mike's been reminding me, hey, we got to get the picture, Jim's picture up there and the write-up for Jim. You know what a blessing it is to say, wait a minute, i got 14 years. He came a couple months after we started. Man, what a blessing. You know why? He's trying to walk with God, I'm trying to walk with God, and that's making it work. It's, it's a rock. It ain't the shifting sands of our emotion. It ain't the shifting sands of our feelings. It ain't the shifting sands of circumstances. It's Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be moved. I've got to be on that rock. The rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise man builds his house on the rock. It's a growth process. Reliance of your walk. Listen, your walk with Jesus Christ, hear me clearly, is a slow, gradual growth process. You should not be today what you were last year. And you should not be next year what you are today. And too many stinking Christians get this, I already arrived, I already know it all attitude. I can't stand preaching to a bunch of people that have this to everything I say. Once in a while, I want to see. I never thought of that. Just be, just be honest, right? You can't possibly already know everything. You're not growing if you come to church and never learn anything. I don't care if you know more than me. You ought to come. Listen, the way God works and sets up preaching, if God's in it, you should get something that's changing your life. No matter who's preaching it. It's Bible, and that's how God works. It's a process. Watch. Verse 2. I shall not be greatly moved. You ever feel like you're moved a little? Be honest. Do you ever feel like this one hit you? And, uh, yeah, you're kind of a little wobbly. He said, I shall not be greatly moved in verse 2. Well, that's pretty normal. It's normal for you to sometimes drag yourself in. It's normal for you to every once in a while, like, I'm not going to church. I'm too tired. But as time goes on, you go from, I will not be greatly moved, to verse 6, I shall not be moved. You see the difference? Do you know we're all in a process? Every last one of us, from the littlest kids to the oldest person in this room, we're all in a process. None of us have arrived. We ought to all still be growing. We ought to be patient with each other. There might be some people around here as the church grows that aggravate you. Do you know what I've learned? Don't run them off. Do you know why? 
because their twin walks in in a totally different body. That's just part of dealing with people. And you know what the other thing is? Just maybe God's working on them. They haven't changed in five years. Maybe it's going to take them ten years. But as long as there's some kind of forward progress, God's being glorified and that Christian is growing and that's pleasing to the Lord. You know what the key is? Reliance of your walk. He is planted on the rock. He's resigned his will to the will of God and his reliance in his walk with a resigned will, his reliance is the rock. And that's exactly what we need. Look at verses 6 and 7. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. So it looks like the things he states in verse number 6, he sort of circles back and explains a little clearer in verse number 7. And it's four things in verse 7 that he seems to have learned about God. He says, God is my salvation. That, that, that's uh, circumstances, not just your soul. Do you know God does take care of your circumstances? Yes. You know the only way for you to get help out of your problems? If you're stuck in your tribulation, if you're dealing with your emotional issues and the things that you've got to deal with, you know the only hope you got is your relationship with the Lord because there's no guarantee things around you are going to change. Life is hard. An older man told me just recently, I wish I could tell you it'd get better, but I can't. It gets tougher. I've always said that just by talking to older people. <laughs> all the older people say, it ain't, it ain't for sissies. You still got all your own problems, and then on top of that, your body starts falling apart in a hundred different ways. And on top of that, your kids are adults, and now they're just not making stupid little decisions. They're making stupid big decisions that are impacting not only them, but your grandchildren. Life doesn't get easier. It gets tougher. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to say, God, your salvation or you can just shrivel up and be miserable. You can go ahead and have a nervous breakdown. You can come unglued. Or you can get that relationship with God where it needs to be. And you can rely on Him for the strength you need and the salvation you need. God is my salvation and my glory. Glorious boast to be proud of. Enjoyment. Heavenly felicity. It's notable achievements. Do you hear me? God's my glory. You know in my life there's some, been some noticeable achievements. Like, wow. Like, thank God for the victory on that. Look what God did. Look at the souls that have been getting saved. Look at the work God's establishing. You know where that, that's coming from? You know where all that's coming from? Every, you know where every last bit of anything good you see in me is coming from? Amen. You know what I am? I know what I am. You don't want to know what I am. I don't even want to say what I am with my little girls in the room. Their daddy would not be a preacher. I'll tell you that much. Their daddy would be in prison somewhere more than likely or dead already from drugs and alcohol or something. God only knows what I'd be, but I know what I'd be without Him in my personality. There's nothing good coming out of my life that's Mike Reagan. Not one cotton-picking thing is Mike Reagan. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing about me is established. I'm like, that ain't working, I'll quit. Go somewhere else. I don't like it, I'm out. (laughs) I could, be a, I could be a bum. I could be a hobo. I could just jump trains and just live my life like that, taking care of me and only me and just living hand to mouth. Anything good in my life 
That's the criticism when I was in my 20s and early 30s. The older men had of me. You got to put your roots down. You got to stop bouncing around the country all the time. You can't be moving every couple of years. You got to put your roots down, boy. You got to put your roots down, boy. You got to put your roots. When I started this church, I was, God help me, put my roots down and finish something. He's a rock. And I ain't. I'm a tumbleweed. And so are you. You don't get rooted on the right thing when it comes to spiritual things at least. You may not be as crazy as I am, but when it comes to spiritual things, you're a tumbleweed if you don't put your roots down on the rock. There's a reliance of that walk. He's the rock of strength in verse 7. The rock of my strength and my refuge. My goodness, man. A refuge is a safe place to go. You remember when you were a little kid? If you, had, if you were blessed enough to have a decent mom what it would feel like to just like go cuddle up next to your mom. You know the comfort of that? You know what I'm talking about? It's a refuge. That's, who, that's what God is. My last point and we'll go. Notice the rendering of his trust. And I use that word because you have to decide what you're going to give your trust to. Verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Verse 10, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Now, boy, I like that verse, man. I'm thankful because He's my God. Because I'm serving him. I'm glad he's got power. Just circumstances and things and situations come in over your head and you better know where to go to get the power. It belongs to him, not you. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. Ain't, ain't that a good verse? For thou renderest to every man according to his work. A couple things I want you just to notice and we'll go. I want you to notice when you render your trust to God, you have to reject everything else. Did you hear me? If you render your trust to God, you have to reject everything else. Because you don't get both. You either trust Him or you trust your money. It says, if riches increase, you did something wrong. Because you know how God thinks about money, about who He gives it to, and stuff people that are jealous of you will say. No, it says, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. You better not set your heart on riches. You see what the interest rates are doing? That this 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 uh, hurricane's hitting a certain part of Florida. That's gonna, I think it said like up to fifty percent of the fertilizer for the U.S. and twelve percent of the fertilizer global. So it's gonna jack up your food prices. You better grab some of those apples Mike's got out there. You don't, man, you can't trust money, man. You cannot, you don't care how much you got in the bank. You don't impress me. You don't, whatever. Okay, good. I mean, I hope you enjoy it. Hey, the Bible even says God giveth them richly all things to enjoy. Charge them they're rich in this world doesn't mean charge them. It means tell them not to be high-minded or trust in their uncertain riches, but in the living God, and don't forget to give. You can't trust in money in God. 
You can't trust the American economy and God. You can't trust American politics and God. Verse 9, you can't trust men and God. Look at, look at the oppression in verse 10. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. What, are you going to extort people for money? You're going to be a crooked businessman and think you're going to make it because you're so good at getting money? You're an idiot. The root of your ability to trust is seen in this passage. Look at verse 8. Where's the root of your ability to trust? He said, pour out your heart before Him. You know, you know a lack of trust in God is a heart issue? If you don't trust God, it's your fault. You're choosing not to trust Him. You're not rendering your trust to God. Listen, we are overly grateful for good doctors, great neurologists, all the rest of that stuff. To one of the top four hospitals for neurology in the country, I believe. Overly grateful. I don't want to hear this, well, they're all about the money. I hope her neurologist lives in a multi-million dollar mansion and drives a Bentley when she's thinking there's going to be a hailstorm. You can stare at me like that all you want. You want a broke doctor? Working on your kid? Is that what you want? Okay. I hope and pray that she's doing phenomenal and they're paying her all, you know, the insurance company or whoever, you know, (laughs) not me, the insurance companies, right? But you know what our trust is? (laughs) We say, God, give her the wisdom to know and be able to figure it out. Give us direction. God, we're not seeking to the physicians and throwing him aside. We're going to him first and letting him direct us to the physicians because he does use them. But our trust ain't in the U of M. Our trust is in him. You've got to render to God what you own. Unto thee also, verse 12, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Do you know what God will do for you? When you make your decision, I won't be moved, and I say that with boldness because I'm going to stick with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign my will to his. I'm going to rely on him in my walk, and I'm going to render my trust to him. And well, since I'm going to do that, I'm not moving. You know what God will do? God will take care of you. Did not God take care of David later? He made this decision before God ever subdued all his enemies and put him on a throne. Well, maybe that's why God subdued his enemies and put him on a throne. Now, my conclusion. Watch this. This is pretty cool. I'm reading my Bible this morning, and I come across Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. He says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. (laughs) O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but that doesn't change anything. You know why that's good? Because so many Christians can trust God and serve God in all the struggles of life, but when they mess up, they quit. The Bathsheba moment, the humiliating moment, the, well, I shouldn't have dropped out of church, and I did, and I really want to go back to church, but I'm just so afraid of what Pastor Reagan's going to say. That ain't how God works. Oh, Israel, you have made a mess of you and I'm where you go to get it fixed. You know what David did? He wasn't moved. 
You say, yeah, he murdered somebody and stole his wife. I understand that. But he got through it and stuck with God because even when you mess it up and it's your fault, God's still worth sticking with. So that's where the devil gets a lot of people and I'm afraid if you don't know better down the road, that's where he's going to get some of you. Well, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Oh, okay, stupid. So now it's time to run from God. Because that rock can't handle your mistakes? Or does he got some blood that's been shed that can handle anything and everything you've ever done or ever will do? So there's no need to be moved. Stick with him. All right, no invitation tonight. We'll have plenty of that this weekend. Let's go ahead and we'll... uh,